0: To look at Genesis chapter two, and and I, I really I want to highlight something that's not there. I, I don't want to read anything of the scripture that doesn't need to be there, and that's certainly not the point tonight. But I I want to highlight something that's not found there, but it's it's very much I think implied by the scriptures. This this happened, this took place, and and then what we'll do is we'll sort of move from there into some other areas of scripture, and so. Uh, don't feel like that. As I, I refer to different passages tonight, that you have to flip there real quick and all of that. Some I'll just refer to and, and then move forward. But we'll we'll look first of all in Genesis chapter two. Look at look at verse sixteen. Uh, the context here is that um, that in verse fifteen, God took Adam and placed him in the garden, and he's he's supposed to work it, watch over it. And so we're sort of at the uh, at, uh, at the end of, of you know, here's, here's Adam's time alone and all that stuff. And God gives him one further thing that he's supposed to remember in, in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, next week, next Sunday morning, we will talk about the beginning of sin. And, and how did all of that begin, and what's the root of it? And I think we'll find sort of one underlying principle that is true of any sin that we commit. Uh, it may not be the same sin over and over, but just true of that. So we're not going to focus on, on the result of Adam and Eve and their sin tonight, but I, I want you to get this. Remember what God told him. Just sort of have that in your mind. You may eat from any tree in the garden except this one. And that was God's word to Adam. Then look over in chapter 3. Look at verse 1, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And, of course, we know that the, the, the end of this story, chapter, excuse me, verse 4, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And we know that the end result of this is that sin entered the world, and things were were never the same. But what's interesting, and and this is what's not there, but I believe is implied. Chapter 2, verse 16, and verse 17. God tells Adam, here's what you may do, here's what you may not do. Eat from any of the trees, except that one chapter 3 verse 1 the serpent said did god really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden then verse 2 the woman eve said to the serpent we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden god said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die now follow me for just a second these are very simple questions with very simple answers no tricks here okay i I, I never like trick questions in school and so i don't try trick questions. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, who did God tell? You may eat of this one, this all these trees, but not the one. Who did God tell that to? Adam. Very good. You guys are sharp. All right, sharp. Told you. No trick questions. In in chapter three, verse one, who did Satan approach? The woman. Who then said what God told Adam? The woman. Now, now understand this. God told Adam, okay, this is not not some trick, this is not some incredible wow moment coming up, all right, so this is real simple. God told Adam, any of the trees but that one. Eve tells the serpent, any of the trees but that one. Now, we know that she ultimately failed and that Adam did too. We're not going to pin all this on Eve. They both failed, but understand what happened somewhere between verse 17 of chapter 2 and verse 2 of chapter 3. Somewhere in there, Adam told Eve what God said. We have no record in a direct reading of the scripture that Eve was present when God told Adam all the trees but one. We have no record that Adam somehow spoke on behalf of Eve. In fact, it says the woman replied. So again, very simple, and I'm not trying to make you feel stupid or anything. This is just very simple. Somewhere in between there, Adam told Eve the word of God. Adam passed on to his wife, here's what God has said. So she knew it. Now, obviously, they didn't act on it with conviction and actually believing and trusting in God. We'll get into that a little bit next week. But I believe that somewhere in there, we can see that the beginning of ministry, the beginning of passing on God's Word is what I would sort of define as just ministry in general, passing on the truth of God to someone else. Somewhere in there, that happened. Somewhere in there, Adam took what he had been told from God and told his wife. Now, you may say, well, that's not at all earth shattering. No, it's not. He was simply doing probably what was innate to him, just sort of on the inside of him. God told me this, I need to tell my wife. I need to tell her, I need to pass this on. He was sort of, in a sense, the, the first minister, and what we would think maybe the first preacher. But what's interesting here, and we'll get into this in just a second, is that the first ministry, the first passing on of God's word, didn't happen from a preacher. It happened from a husband to his wife. It happened just from a guy to a woman. And so I want us to sort of understand that from the very outset of the passing on of God's word from one person to another, it didn't start with me to you, from the preacher to the congregation. You with me so far? All right, again, I hope this makes sense because it's not meant to be confusing at all. So ministry then, by implication, does not only take place, nor is it primarily the responsibility of the preacher to the congregation, because from the very beginning, it was within the family, from a guy to a girl, from the man to his wife, from one person to another. And probably, I would assume, in a very casual nature. He probably did not sit down, sing two or three songs, and have Eve receive the sermon that he was going to preach to her. Maybe, don't know, but I don't think that's probably the case. They're probably walking around the garden one day after she's been created and they're talking about things. Maybe they had talked with God a little bit and and somehow they, they talk about this. Well, here, you know, hey, this is what God told me. Before you were even here, he told me this is what we're supposed to be doing. He's sort of instructing her. It's not there and I don't want to read anything into the Scripture unnecessarily, but it's sort of implied that Adam passed this on to Eve. As you read and continue to go through the Scriptures... I believe we see over and over and over again, both overtly and sort of by implication, this mandate to pass on God to other people, to pass on God's word, to pass on through ministry what God said. And so I want us to look at tonight sort of what it is that ministry, if we're going to do that, and not in an official capacity, I'm not talking about uh, you only do this if you're getting paid or you're hired by the church. But just as people, if we're going to pass on God and His Word to other people, what's then required? And I think we'll see as we move through the Scriptures that that God, over and over, says you are those those who know it are to pass it on. Uh, you know, we we know those Scriptures. Go and make disciples. You're the light of the world. All those things. Go and pass it on. If that's the case, and if it sort of began just casually with Adam and Eve, they passed on God's Word one to another, and then to their children and so on, I I want us to to think about what it is then that ministry is going to require. And this is where we'll kind of move through the Scriptures just a little bit. Is everybody with me so far? Is there a question about that whatsoever? Please let me know, because I I will do my best to to clear it up. I'm not trying to confuse in any way. Okay. <laughs> good in the back. All right. Good in the back. We doing okay up front? Very good. Okay. If we're not, we're not going to say anything, right? Okay. Yeah. Everybody, uh, whatever. So anyway, I want us to look at if, if we're going to do what it is implied that Adam was instructed or, or told to do, and then he passed it on his wife. If we're going to have ministry and, and make a difference and somehow pass on God's word, here's, here's what I think that... That it requires Some of these will have a scripture for, so if you're writing some things down, some of them will have a, a scripture reference. Maybe you can go back and look at those later on. I, I think some of these just though, are universal through the Bible, and, and, and these are just biblical principles. I think one thing that ministry requires, if we are going to have any sort of impact whatsoever, if we're going to pass on God's word the way He wants us to, I think one thing we have to start with is just a, a clear view of reality. and what I mean by that is this: that God loves people, but people. Without Jesus, we'll die and go to hell. And we have to understand that. And, 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 and that sounds very familiar to us, to many of us. If you've been in church for any length of time, okay, yeah, God loves everybody. He, he wants them to be saved, and without Jesus, they're going to hell. Got that. But if you don't start with that, every single day, every single interaction, how easy is it for you to pass by people that you work with that you see at the store, that you're in sort of a circle of friends with, and you forget that simple fact, that you know what? That person is loved and valued by God. And without Jesus, they will spend eternity in hell. That goes for people that are your friends, people that are your family, your kids, your grandkids, everybody. So we have to begin with just a clear view of reality. And then secondly, I think, and quickly followed by that, we have to have an overwhelming burden to get those people to Jesus. We see over and over and over in the Scripture that that people were just burdened to get their friends. You look in the Gospels, get their friends to Jesus to be healed or to be introduced to Him. Those four guys that lowered their friend through the roof. I mean, this, the house is packed, and they cut a hole in the roof and lower. They were desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And I and I have to admit to you, sometimes I forget reality. Sometimes I just go through my life and, and take our t-ball team, for example. I, I sometimes just focus on sort of maintaining order rather than that clear reality that every one of those kids and every one of their parents is loved by God and without Jesus will spend eternity in hell. And as a result, have an overwhelming burden. I have got to get them somehow. I've got to get them introduced to Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean necessarily that I go and smack them in the head and wake them up and say, you know what, you're dying and going to hell. May not be the best way to approach it. For some, maybe it is. Maybe that's how you were introduced to Jesus. If that worked for you, hey, that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad it did. But for a lot of people, you know, that probably is not the best approach to take. But if I don't have that view of reality, that overwhelming burden, then, then all of those people will pass by me and I have the greatest treasure inside of me that's ever existed in the world, and that is Jesus Christ, and they won't get it. I think also we have to begin with just a strong foundation of understanding the Word of God, being prayerful, uh, having the conviction that what God says is actually true and that it's our responsibility to tell other people what God said. And then uh, let's get into a, to a passage of Scripture here that I think points to something else. If you still have your Bible open, flip over to Deuteronomy. Let's kind of go to the right just a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I think this will point to the fact that once we understand reality that people are lost, that they're going to hell without Jesus, and that it's our responsibility, our burden to get them to Jesus no matter what, that we've got a strong foundation of understanding the Word of God, we've been prayed up, and we have a conviction that we know that what God said is true. I think then we become obligated to exhibit a godly model look at look at chapter six, verse one. understand this is in the context of the people of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land, and Moses is giving them one last sermon. Thank God, my sermons are not forty chapters long right amen and so so he 's giving them this last sermon here 's some final instructions you 've got to get this, and, and we 're going to pull the principles from this because. Uh, it, uh, I think it will speak to us. Look at verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's, here's verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you understand Moses telling them this stuff has got to be a part of you? Everywhere you go, you've got to be a godly example. Everything you say has to point somebody to God. He's saying, look, it is your responsibility to set the example, be a godly model for those who are following you, those who will depend upon that. And you know as well as I do that those of us that have had great godly examples in our lives are much more likely to follow God than those who have no examples whatsoever. Some of you have come from homes where your parents were just absolute godly examples of faith and trust in the Lord and they taught you and passed on those things. Others of you went a different route and and you found God a different way and it was probably a little bit more difficult for you to see what God was supposed to be and look like because you didn't have an example. And so we've got to follow a godly model. We have to be that godly model From parents to kids, understand ministry started there in the family. Jesus was also this example for his disciples. And an interesting verse also in 1 Corinthians, you want to write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul, it almost sounds arrogant, maybe if you've ever read this verse, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I I, I can't say that I'm ready to to tell everybody that yet, because I'm, I'm thinking, wow, what if everybody really did follow my example? Every single area of life. But Paul said, look, I'm going to be the godly example for you. We are expected to be the same godly example for the world. Matthew 5, Jesus lays it out. He says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And he says, let your light then shine in such a way that people will see what you're doing. They'll recognize your faith and that they will then place their trust and they'll glorify God. We are to be that godly example. If we are going to have ministry... If we're going to do what God has commanded us to do, we've got to be a godly model. I think another thing is this, that we have to have an open mouth. And I'll tell you, this is tough. If you've got your Bible still open, turn to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read you a real familiar verse and then a, a challenging couple of verses that follow that real familiar encouraging verse that we probably have quoted before. What I mean by having an open mouth is this, that contrary to what we'd like to believe, and I think what we probably have practiced, I know I have, is that there is no such thing as a silent witness. I really wish that were true, I wish that were effective, I wish that were the way that it ought to be done, because I've tried it, and I thought I was really doing exactly what God wanted me to do, but it makes it clear, look at verse 13 of chapter 10, This is the familiar verse. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We probably quoted that as the Romans road. Here's here's the way to salvation. But then, look at verse 14. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer of the word? Verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. The Bible says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul follows that up very quickly with, they're not going to know unless we tell them. They're not going to be saved based upon that silent witness that for 30 years stood next to them at their job, never said a word, but just was a really nice person. There's got to be some proclamation of the message, it says, about Christ. And that's a tough one, because it's not always politically correct or popular to talk about Jesus. You're well aware of that. It's easy in here. I, I can stand up before you all day long and do it, but how can I do it out in the world a little bit? That, that, that's, that's tough, but we have to have an open mouth. I think also we have to have an unrelenting intentionality about what we're doing. Deuteronomy chapter 6 highlights it. We just read it. Write it on the doorpost. Put it everywhere. Talk about it when you're walking on the road, when you're laying down at night. Talk about these things. Be intentional. Jesus, if you look at His example, read about His life, He always was moving people toward God. Always. He never missed a moment. Never missed an opportunity. You ever missed one? You ever been in that situation? You just walked away and you think, God, I know that you put that person in my path, and I blew it. I, I know I was supposed to tell them about about what Jesus can do in their life, about the hope that I've got inside of me, I blew it. Jesus never missed a moment. He was always intentional. We follow His example, we'll understand it's unrelenting. We don't take a day off as a Christian. I, I, I have to admit to you, sometimes I want to take a day off as a Christian because I am a professional Christian. That's, I'm a professional churchgoer, I get paid to be at church. There are times when I just think, oh, I just don't want to have to, you know, have you ever been there? I've just been honest with you tonight. You just think, I just want to be able to go and not have to worry about all this stuff, but Jesus never took a day off. He never took a a moment off. I'd love to be the kind of man like that, who in every encounter I'm always moving somebody toward God, never taking a moment off. Another thing that, that ministry requires is proximity. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, you get the idea in Genesis chapter 2 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 that ministry started with the people closest to the, to the person who was passing it on. Ministry for Adam started with Eve. Deuteronomy 6, it's his parents it on to your kids, your grandkids. Ministry happens in close relationship more often than not. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8, we're not going to turn there, but Paul says, look, I lived among you. I was happy not only to share the gospel with you, but my life with you. I was just one of the fellas. I was one of the people in the community. I jumped in with both feet. Do you not see that? That's how I was doing ministry. Ministry often demands a close relationship, so proximity is also involved. Also, multiplication is involved. Think about what the world would be like if each of us took to heart and acted out the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, everybody you come into contact with, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. What would then happen? They would then go out and do those things. They would be multiplied. You think about the coaching trees that we have. You think about Rick Pitino's coaching tree. Some of you don't like Rick Patino, I apologize. But think about it. How many assistant coaches has he trained and raised up and sent out to be head coaches? His son is the latest one who he is in the process of training. He's just now sent his son to be with Coach Billy Donovan at Florida because he says that's his best chance. That's his best opportunity. A guy who is probably probably not as in tune with God as we would like him to be sometimes, knows about multiplication. How much greater would it be if we understood the concept of multiplication as it pertains to making disciples? So it involves that. And then I I think this, and we'll we'll close here in just a second. I think that ministry requires that we have a willingness to break the rules. And some of you are now sweating because you think, what is he going to say now? But if I look and I'm honest and I look at the life of Jesus and you see him with kids that were otherwise rebuked by the disciples, get away. He doesn't, he doesn't have time to sit and talk to you kids. Do you understand? I mean, he's Jesus. You know, he's a great healer and a teacher and claims to be the son of God. And not have time for little kids. I mean, you see him with kids. You see him healing on the Sabbath, which to the Pharisees was blasphemous a man needed to be healed Jesus in a sense broke the rule said forget about the rule this guy needs me he he went home with Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector the most hated guy in town this wasn't just a guy that sort of was you know rubbed a couple of people wrong everybody hated him Jesus went to his house you go to somebody's house in that day it was different than just kind of popping by somebody's house today it was a big big deal Jesus went to his house. Jesus sat and talked with a woman at the well who had had five husbands and the man she was living with at the time wasn't her husband. You talk about scandalous. This woman had a reputation and Jesus was talking with her. Apparently by themselves, but in public, talking with her. Not only was it a woman, but it was a scandalous woman. Jesus was also known as the friend of sinners. He broke the rules. He shook things up, and people did not understand him. Because to Jesus, people were more important than anything, than any rules that had been set up by people, whether they were spoken or unspoken or written or unwritten. People were more important than any of the traditions the Pharisees had at that time. They were trying to keep people away from Jesus. And And he just said, no, no, no. I'm going after these people. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what it means. And it, it sent him to the cross. Jesus was willing to break the rules. And we have to, I think, be willing to do the same things in our lives. I think one of the rules that maybe we could start with is this. That instead of just trying to get people to church, we try to get people to Jesus. One of the unwritten rules of evangelism is, hey, just get them to church, and the preacher will take care of the rest. Boy, you just got to come and just listen. Just sit there, just listen. And then you call the preacher and you say, look, now i got this friend coming. And, and listen, can you please, please, please say this? And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I've had that happen before, and hey, that's fine. I always like to be sensitive to who's there. I want to know some stories. I can kinda, maybe I can shape things a little bit. But instead of just introducing people to church, what if we introduced people to Jesus? What if we were more concerned about, well, their eternal security rather than if they filled a seat in our church? And I don't say that in accusation to anybody here. I just think that's across Christianity, something that we, it's kind of an unwritten rule. Just get them to church. Preacher will fix them. He'll take care of them. Just introduce him to that guy. Just listen to this sermon. Just do that. Jesus was willing to break the rules. And so I guess my question is, what would it look like for you and for me? And, and this, is, this is where I want to come down to because I think maybe, maybe if you're in the, the boat tonight, and you just think, well, I've kind of heard that stuff before. I'm not really sure what you're talking about because it's nothing really new. Okay, we're doing ministry, and that sounds great. We need to talk about it and all that stuff. But, but I guarantee you this, that you will be in contact with somebody this week that Jesus has put in your path. And you will have an opportunity one way or another to blow it or take advantage of it. And I will too. Tuesday night we have t-ball practice. And I'm not foolish enough to think that every single one of those parents knows Jesus. In fact, I know they all don't. I've heard them talk and I've listened to what they have to say and all that stuff. And it kind of gives evidence that they don't all know Jesus. And so we're going to be in contact with those people. And I want to challenge you. Be his hands and feet. Be the hands and feet of the Lord that means meet a need, if that means sacrifice, if that means break the rules to go out of your way to do something, by all means, do it. Don't think twice about what the person who sits next to you in church or sits across the way is going to think. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be his mouthpiece, his voice. Be an extension of him. And here's what I'd like for us to, to consider. I, I have this this dream, I suppose, and and maybe it's it's a God-ordained dream, I believe it is, that we would have here at Elm Grove, that we would have people, and I believe we have a lot of these already, but that we would have people who viewed their workplace, who viewed their home, who viewed their neighborhood, the streets you live on, who viewed your social circle, whoever it is you're around, who viewed the people you go up to the store with and have coffee, who view everybody that you're around on a regular basis as your area of ministry that God has given you for this purpose, and that is to be intentional and focused on the spiritual development of those people. You, in a sense, become the pastor for those people. I I was in a conversation the other day with a guy who was taking some food to a person who has terminal cancer, and it was on behalf of the place where this man worked, and I just thought, I told him, I said, that's incredible. I said, I, I, just, I would love to see exponentially people that would, would see their fields of ministry as the places where they worked. Shepherd those people. You may have never thought of yourself as a shepherd to those people. I, I think especially probably if, if you're a woman, that's, that's typically a male kind of term. Pastor is a male term in the Bible. But what if... You took the spiritual development of the people closest to you, the people that are regularly in your path, if you were intentional about that. What if when there was a need, they didn't have to wait for some church to meet the need, but there was a Christian in their life that met the need. What if instead of, I hate my job, oh, this is awful, and I'm not discounting the fact that some of us have legitimate reasons to hate our job, don't get me wrong. But what if... In the midst of that hating of our job, if we said, you know what, as long as I'm here, as long as God makes me endure this place, I will minister to that person. And I know what's going on in her life. I'm going to write her a card. You know what, I am praying for you. And what if I find out a situation and, and, I, and I talk to somebody, just like, Randy, what you're talking about, lady asks you a question, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to engage in a conversation. And I don't know if that, tr- that really makes a whole lot of sense to you, but I, I just want to challenge us. I, I think of it in, in terms, of, and I can only go from my experience. One of the things that, I, that I'm trying to do with our t-ball team, and if any of the parents listen to this recording, they'll figure it out, but I'm trying to build a relationship so that by the end of the season, I understand the needs of the parents on our team. And that I'm able to minister to them in such a way that it doesn't have to be because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian and I happen to be the coach of that team. That's where God has me. They've got a need. I'm going to do my best to meet it. They're struggling with the behavior of their kid. I'm going to try to give them some sort of resource they can, they can help. And I've, I've listed, maybe this, maybe this is right or it's wrong, but I've listed an alternate email address than the one I have here at church not because I'm afraid of him finding out what I do for a living, but when they find out I'm a pastor, it just changes the whole ballgame. I want them to see me first as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then if they see me as a pastor, that's simply because that's the route that God has chosen for my life. But first and foremost, I want them to get Jesus, not a pastor. I want them to get him, not, not just a church. Does that make sense to you, Are you with me? I want them to get him, and so my goal is to give them him first, not, here I am, Pastor Brad, honor me, listen to my sermons. I'm here to give them Jesus. And I just wonder, if we all took that approach, wherever we are, and some of us that may be a little bit more difficult than others, because maybe you're retired, you're not around as many people. But ministry started in the family, and then it spread out from there. View yourself, I want to challenge this, view yourself as the shepherd, as the pastor, as the minister, to that circle of friends, to that set of cubicles, to, to the person on that tractor, to the person you have coffee with, whomever it is. And, and I think in so doing that we will fulfill the mandate that Jesus gave us to go and to make disciples. My prayer is, is that you not leave confused or wondering what on earth I said tonight but that you see that ministry is something that God did from the very beginning. And it wasn't just for the preacher. It wasn't just for the people who were always at church. It was for everybody. And it started in the family, and it spread out from there. And so you can do it. You can do ministry, and you can have treasures in heaven that some preachers will never get. But you've got to do it. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to open your mouth. And you got to break some rules from time to time. And in that, you'll experience Jesus like never before. He'll do some amazing things. You'll see people you never thought would come to God come to God, all because you were willing to open your mouth, be intentional, break a couple of rules and get out there. Get your hands dirty in ministry. That's my prayer for us, and I, and I hope that I've made some sense of it tonight. Um, I love you, and I, I, I'm happy to, to help in any way. I, I would love to be able... Um, to, to sit and talk and say, hey, I, I don't even know where to start with this stuff. I'm not sure how to eat it. Maybe we can figure it out together. I'd love to have that opportunity to have coffee with you and talk a little bit. And, and I would, would love to see that sort of become a, a something that we do, that our church is known for having people that are out in the community being their pastors, being the shepherds, being the ministers. Because I think very few people do that. Let's, let's close in prayer, and then we'll, we'll have a song. God, God, um, it's kinda of hard to do justice to what your word says sometimes and God at the same time. I, I pray that we would leave tonight with an understanding that reality is that apart from Jesus, people will die and go to hell. And that's everybody we come into contact with. That's our kids, our grandkids. That's our friends, our neighbors, and the people we work with, and the folks we have coffee with, and the people we just see in line at Walmart. So God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage that it takes to act on that reality. That we would be overwhelmed every single day with a burden to move people toward Jesus Christ, no matter what. That we'd break a few rules if need be, that we'd get out of our comfort zones, and that we would love you in such a way that you would be all over us and apparent to everybody that we come into contact with. Or make us the shepherds. Make us the ministers. Make us the people of impact for your glory that you want us to be. Lord, we're going to encounter people this week that you've put in our path, and so help us to take advantage of it. God, I pray we'd have stories next Sunday night of how many opportunities you put in our path, and where where we, through your power and your strength, we nailed it. God, help us not to blow it. Lord, when we do, help us to see the next opportunity coming and get back on our feet. Lord, I pray for those who who maybe are, are, are wondering, well, what does this mean for me? How can I do this? I pray you give us wisdom, creativity. Pray you put people in our path. Help us, Lord, to be the type of church, the type of Christians that are more concerned about people and their salvation than anything else. Thank you for that incredible mission that you have given to each one of us. It gives our lives purpose and meaning. Lord, we, we wait in great anticipation for the lives that will be different because of the ministers that are in this room that will leave and will impact the world. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your ministry of of what the Bible calls reconciliation, making things right between us and you. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for rising from the dead. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.